Hello, this is Ruin Willow, and you are listening to the Oh Fuck Yeah with Ruin Willow podcast. I'm excited you're here today. I have an amazing guest to share with you. But if you are under 18, it is time to leave the podcast now, baby love, because we talk a lot about sex. My guest today is Sarah Martin. She says, I help horny people get laid ethically. By mastering a simple set of principles taught through a logical framework, you can enjoy a kind of freedom and pleasure beyond anything you imagined possible. She has a, an amazing background and education. She's a certified sex coach. She has a master's of art and sociology. She is a sex coach member for multiple different organizations, and she won top coach, recognized as one of the top 20 sex coaches of 2022 by the Coach Foundation. That's pretty damn cool. Here's some things she does. She has helped her clients lose their virginity in a way that felt fun and relaxed, find hookups, casual sex, and friends with benefits, learn how to be more dominant in the bedroom, go on more dates in one week than in the previous decade, feel calm, relaxed, and confident as a sexual being. Learn how to flirt in all kinds of relationships. She has a bunch of courses and her podcast. She runs a podcast called Slutty Activism. And what we talk about is how slutty activism is the idea that you can fight back against fascism with pleasure and that our intensely personal experiences of sex and relationships, while they can feel really individual, are also systemic. And she also likes talking about hookups, which is something that she has done courses for. And she wrote her master's thesis about economic metaphor in pickup artist handbooks, dignified hedonism, among others. So this is her, is a very interesting discussion. And I really was moved by what she said. And I, I agreed with it. I identified with it. Okay. You got to hear what she has to say. It's totally amazing. And something I hadn't thought about before, some of the things she said, I was kind of like, wow, hell yeah, fuck yeah. So let's get into the meat of this episode and listen to my amazing discussion with Sarah. Here we go. Hello, everyone. I am so excited about my guest today. She's amazing. She has this amazing background and she's developed all these amazing things. And she is a sex and dating coach. Her name is Sarah Martin. And I'm so excited to welcome her to my podcast. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Ruin. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to be here. I can't wait to dive in with you today. Oh, I was so pumped to talk with you. And how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? I, I would love for you to Give us the scoop. The scoop. Sure. So hi, everybody. My name is Sarah Martin. I'm a certified sex coach. And I've also got a master's in sociology. I wrote my master's thesis all about pickup artists. So hey, oh, that's something in my background. And I am the creator of the Dignified Hedonist Framework. So it's a framework that I use working with all of my clients. And as of very recently, I am now the host of the brand new podcast called Slutty Activism. 
And that has been such a fun project to create and get off the ground. So it's available wherever fine podcasts are found. That all sounds absolutely fabulous. I am just so interested in what you have to say. And so slutty activism, what does that mean exactly? So slutty activism is the concept that our liberation stems from our connection with each other. And I actually think that the impact that we have in our relationships, uh, in particular, our sexual relationships, it's not just this individual, tiny, private thing that sparks up in a moment and then disappears. I actually think there's the potential for an extraordinarily powerful ripple effect to stem from those interactions, especially if we come to them as extraordinary lovers, right? Mm -hmm. We can change the fabric of our society beginning within our bedrooms. And that is very much needed with how everything is so sex negative, right? Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, I see that connected to this wider system of of things that aggregate up into neo-fascism and extremely conservative movements that are gaining steam all over the world, right? I think that what is personal and what's more personal than our sexual lives is extraordinarily political. And it makes perfect sense, right? Because the way a lot of this sex negativity or other systems of oppression are really able to get one over on us as a population is by dividing us and isolating us. And when people feel lonely and afraid, that's when they're extraordinarily vulnerable to to movements like that. And so in our connection with each other, we have the chance to fight back. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that, you know, it's great that you've created this and it's so needed, especially with, like you said, the environment that things are kind of shifting towards. It's rather disturbing, really. I mean, yeah. It's a bit of a drag. I have to say, like, I was not prepared by my upbringing to be living in a world where we're really watching, like, things kind of rolling backwards and this big backlash. And, I mean, just losing rights instead of gaining new rights, you know, like, it's disheartening. And it seems to have been gathering steam now for several years to where we're starting to see like some things happen like the Dobbs decision in the United States, right? And the right. rollback of the federal protection of access to abortion. Right. Absolutely. And those are just very disturbing and just very huge and just all encompassing. And it's, it is, it's very scary. It's very, yeah, you. Uh, I, I know I grew up the same way, thinking we're going to continue to have better things, better rights, right. more coverage, not the opposite. And it's it does seem like it's trying to shift backwards, like time is going backwards. Yeah. And, you know, one word for that is it's overwhelming. 
it can feel Mm -hmm. so overwhelming. And this is part of where the, not even just the concept, but this anchoring in an idea of slutty activism really grew for me because I was hearing from my friends and my colleagues about this sense of hopelessness or what do we even do in the face of the challenges that we see? Because Mm -hmm. remember, like there's been a series of things. There was the SESTA-FOSTA legislation, right? That Mm -hmm. suddenly made it so much harder to be a sexuality professional, never mind a sex worker online. Right. And that sent shockwaves through my professional community. And, you know, just picking that up as one among many things, right? There have been all of these little victories for for this regressive movement that are compounding and are now yielding the kind of things that are are huge and world-shaking like Brexit or the election of Donald Trump or Bolsonaro in Brazil or the new government that's just been elected in Italy. And so you might be thinking, well, what can I even do in the face of these systemic challenges? And that's kind of where... I come in and say that probably the most profound impact that you can have as an individual is through slutty activism, is through going out and connecting with others from this place where you model an autonomy and a focus on pleasure and being led by your desire and seeing other people as ends in themselves rather than means to other ends, right? Mm. It's this whole way about how we treat each other. And I like to talk about it in the context of uh, sluttiness and in, in terms of sex, because that is such a powerful, such a powerful form of connection. Like to be fair, if you go out there and you're being a slutty activist and having a whole plethora of partners and you're connecting with them in this powerful way. Yeah. That's going to have a huge impact. And at the same time, I think slutty activism can also be for monogamous people too. I want to make that point that it's not exclusionary. It doesn't mean you have to be out, you know, having sex with everyone because like that in and of itself, the idea that you have to X as a sexual being is totally missing the point. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. There's no exclusion. (laughs) Right. Because the way I often talk about it. So if I'm talking from within this context of, say, somebody who is wanting to go out and have a number of partners, whether those are casual relationships or one night stands or hookups or friends with benefits, that when they come to those interactions as a slutty activist with this set of skills for pleasure and connection, then what they're doing is becoming a living example that something else is possible, right? Mm. What you see a lot in dating sex and relationships is people get really down and dejected and like, Oh, I guess this is just how it is. Like, right. You know, you know, 
men are like this or women are like this and I have to change everything about who I am in order to play the game and on and on and on, right? Right. And so if you show up in a hookup and you're treating people in this way that's really honoring their humanity, their autonomy, where you've got to focus on co-creating pleasure rather than just taking from the experience. When mm. you come as an embodied and sensual person rather than stuck up in your own mind, not really inside of the experience because of any number of factors, right? You prove that things can be different. And I think for me, like this is the important piece, right? Because even if we can intellectually get on board with something, right? And say, okay, you know, I'll go along with that, Sarah, that idea that I can just ask for what I want without having to use all of these, you know, um, indirect tactics, which is what mm -hmm. a lot of, say, uh, other folks in the dating coaching sphere teach or sure. manipulative tactics or coercive mm -hmm. tactics. Right. Or, or another thing I, I, I teach is like, I encourage people to be sober when they're doing all of this. And you'd be mm, surprised yes. at some of the responses I get to that too. Right. <laughs> right. Is that even if you believe it intellectually or you're willing to go along with it, there's nothing like the lived experience to make you go, oh my goodness, this is actually real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to be going through it, not altered not your mind not altered in, in, in without alcohol or drugs. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be a total different experience and so much more genuine and real to you than if you're, because you know, you may not even remember it appropriately if you have, if you're drunk or high. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a whole other kettle of fish and like we could yeah. get into quite a deep discussion <laughs> about substance use when it comes to sexuality, because there's right. plenty of nuance there. On my side, I encourage folks, especially with new partners or partners where it's maybe going to be one night only or just a couple of nights or days or, you know, doesn't have to exclusively be in the dark, right? Right, right. <laughs> that in those circumstances or in group settings. So if you're going to a sexy party or a swing club, that going sober is is hands down the best way to approach it. Right. Right. And, you know, I think that you're going to you're going to pick up on nuances of people and expressions way better than when you're altered anyway. So why why add in that level of, you know, potential problem? Well, I mean, you know why people do it, right? Because yeah, because they're feeling uncomfortable. And a lot of yeah. times with people, that's sexual shame that hasn't been explored and unpacked and brought into the light so that it can dissolve, you know. So right. I have a lot of empathy and compassion for that. I understand completely why people do it. Still think it's a terrible idea. <laughs> what exactly? What do you think about people that come into relations or uh, situations, whether it be a one night hookup or something bigger, or even relationships where they're just they're entitled? Like this is what I'm owed. What What's your take on that? And what do you What do you do about changing someone's mindset? Can you ch Can you change that kind of mindset? So what I think is going on there, if we kind of like zoom way out, because this discussion about entitlement has a lot of layers 
And I think for a lot of people where we might say they're acting as if they're entitled, they're oftentimes people who they themselves would say, you know, I don't feel entitled to anything. I've never felt entitled to anything my entire life. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I find that terminology isn't a way to reach the people that need to hear the message most. Sure. So what I often talk about in my work is this idea of instrumentality or instrumental sex versus experiential sex. Ah. So is sex a means to another end or is sex an end in itself? And most people have both types of sex at different points in their lives, right? Yep. Yep. And what I see often, especially among people who you might say are acting a bit entitled is very often those same people are having instrumental sex. So sex is a means to another end and that end is often validation. So I find that often the most entitled seeming people are deep down extraordinarily sexually insecure. And I know that might cause a bit of a backlash. So I'm ready for the hate mail. Like, go on, send it to me, (laughs) folks. Um, I I said what I said. It makes (laughs) sense, though. It really does. Well, and, and that's part of why sometimes those folks have such a bad reaction to hearing things like, no. Because they're going, oh, my goodness, my validation of my identity as uh, as a man, as a woman, as masculine, as feminine, so on and so forth. I'm not going to get that thing that I'm really here for. But their right. partner, the person they're there with, number one, doesn't know that that's what they're there for. And yep. number two, you know, like that's how people wind up walking away from sexual experiences feeling used if folks aren't mm. clear about like, what is the purpose of this? And I'm, I don't mean like sit down and like have a, like a detailed conversation of what is the purpose? Like you don't have to be a philosopher to, right. <laughs> to hook up just more your own self-awareness. Like, are you here for pleasure and connection or are you here to get it over with or for validation or because you feel bored or because you feel lonely or because you want to change how your friends look at you? You know, th- those are the fundamental differences that I often see. And entitlement is very often in my observation. I mean, I, I think always connected to instrumental sex of some sort rather than to sex with the experience itself as the primary motivating factor. Right. It's like people who just want to come. They don't want to, they don't want to like have the experience or the connection. The 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 yeah, the point of doing the act is so that they can come. They're not there to, like you said, co-pleasure, you know, come to the come to the bedroom, come to the bed, wherever you're having sex. They have a different agenda in their brain. And yeah, validation. They want to, okay, this is, they make it about themselves. Well, yeah. And about themselves or their objectives to the exclusion of the other person or people that they're there with. Because I will Mm -hmm. say something like, you can have very experiential sexual encounters that are very centered on like primarily one person's pleasure, right? Sure. Like right. this can be at the heart of um, some BDSM or kinky interactions, right? Yes. And the difference is that like that is 
that is for the co-creation of pleasure for everybody involved, because in yeah. the submission or the service, there is pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. it's it's again like that like versus not telling the other person that the only thing that you want is to come and not um, you know, to to take without giving in return. You know, when that's not mutually agreed to, that falls into that instrumental sex category and into that somebody's going to be walking away feeling pretty shitty after that. Right. Right. Yeah. If it's not mutual, everything about it isn't mutual. The person's going to feel abused. They're going to feel like their needs are not met. They're just aren't unimportant. They're a chore. <sighs> and see, like, who wants to have sex like that? I'm so sick of this. Like, Because the thing is, this is so common. Mm-hmm. And that's part of where where the themes that I talk about on the slutty activism podcast, I think are really important because like, I don't understand why we're not more pissed about this. Like why isn't there like a UN special task force going around the world to like fix (laughs) the amount of bad sex that exists? I know. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. It's because of the whole, you know, the whole sex negative who's in control, who's trying to shame everybody and yeah, that's just, they don't put the, it's not, they're trying to pretend like nobody does it, like it's not important yet. It's one of the most important things in the world. Well, and when you look at, when you look at power through this lens of our connection among ourselves being like the key to our liberation, then mm-hmm. of course, any any structure that wants to retain power in the hands of the few is going to be a sex negative structure because otherwise we'll be going bonobo on the situation. And then suddenly you've got a mass of people who are connected through bonds of, of pleasure and connection. And maybe those are direct sexual bonds, or maybe it's, you know, one of your partners, other partners, and you're connected through this wider network, right? Right. But communities like that are powerfully strong. Oh, and yes. and if you're a religion or if you're a hierarchy or if you're, you know, a wealthy elite, right? You don't mm-hmm. want the masses. You don't want the plebs getting together and feeling satisfied and fulfilled and joyful and living lives full of pleasure right? because then your days at the top of the tree are numbered. Right. Exactly. That makes sense. So yes, we need to <laughs> do what you said and make the connections. And yeah, I, I, I like this whole framework you have. It really makes a lot of sense. And I think it's really quite awesome to think that people can do that and make these connections and yes, make a difference. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of folks get the idea intuitively because I think that's part of our collective heritage as human beings, as these creatures that are able to be so hypersocial and have the potential to experience so much pleasure. I mean, of course, like, sex is written into us and mm-hmm. and not just for matters of procreation right, right like right. it's yep. so obvious like if you spend any time in like in communities that are 
sex positive, you very quickly come to see that like, you know, yes, we're also doing this for pleasure, but it's also a very pro-social behavior a lot of the time, right? If it's consensual, if it's done with respect for everyone's autonomy, it's an extraordinarily pro-social behavior. And then there's the people on the outside of that that are calling it dark, evil, bad, all these negative shame-filled words. And it's just, yeah, it's interesting how some of those people can't even like see where they're actually are the the whole BDSM community, the consent they have is the way it should be. And it's not out in the world. And, the, and yet these people are shaming it, saying it's bad. They don't even know what the hell they're talking about. We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by the Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our special offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, (laughs) Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean shaven or spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, "Hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads. One for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those smooth skin sexy slaps in the bedroom. And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. (laughs) Spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. Yeah, well, I mean, or they do. Like, that's one thing that I've come Mm. to start grappling with is that some people really do see the world in a very different way, right? And where they like the rigid gender roles, or even if they don't like them, they believe they're necessary for salvation or some other end, right? Mm -hmm. And, or uh, for example, the thing that I, that I do because I like to remember what what people outside of my bubble think about things. I follow a few people on social media who talk in very gender essentialist terms about what it means to be a masculine man and a feminine mm. woman and things just are X, Y, Z way. And there are some people who have really drunk that Kool-Aid and where a lot of their identity is built up around those precepts. Sure. And the thing is, if you go and you directly challenge somebody's identity, you usually lose because 
right? Psychologically, we want to protect ourselves from those sort of things. Mm -hmm. So, and at the same time, the thing that I think is hopeful is that like, they're just human beings too, right? Right. They're just trying to stay safe in a world that oftentimes seems frightening and difficult to understand. And that's the way that they've chosen to go about it. Now, I can sit from my perspective and say, when you go down that path, you're just going to wind up perpetually feeling frightened and disconnected and isolated and alone. And and then, you know, they'll disagree and that's fine. I think, again, this is kind of where slutty activism, as I conceive of it, is such an important thing because oftentimes when people are talking like that, like talking smack about the BDSM community, for example, or saying really transphobic things, for example. Right. Oftentimes they don't actually have an awareness that they know anybody who belongs to those communities because I'll bet you dollars to donuts, like they do know trans people and they do know kinky people. They Mm -hmm. might just not know that they know them because they're not a safe person to be out around. Right. So, so for true. right, so for those of us who are in a place where we're able to be out, because not everybody is, and what I always say to my clients or my followers is, right, you are the sovereign in your own life, and you know, like, what's safe and what's not for you. So, like, you don't have to be out. That's not a requirement. Right. For those of us that can be, that can be part of how we reach some of these people who might be maybe not, maybe not deep, deep uh, in, in these movements, but you know, who are maybe tilting that way. I mean, that's a big part of my mission is I want to present an ethical alternative to things like pickup artistry, female dating strategy, or other really sexist forms of seduction or seduction communities. And also to places like, incel or MGTOW or places where a lot of men can wind up going online when they wind up really frustrated with dating, sex, and relationships in their lives. Like, I'd like to create spaces for them to land and to show a different way, right? Sure. Yep. Not everybody's going to be on board with that, but for those who are, it's a way out because like the best way to win at this game is to not play it because the game is rigged and everyone loses. Right. So <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what the female dating strategy means. I, I saw that in your in your content. How would you describe that to someone if they have no clue what you're talking about? So female dating strategy, at least the part that I've been exposed to, because what often happens with these online subcultures and communities is that they have various meeting points. And I'm most aware of the female dating strategy meeting points that exist on Reddit which is Mm. uh, a a website that has lots of different forums on it. If you've never visited Reddit before. Yep, I'm on it. I'm still trying to learn it. I'm still kind of confused by it, but I'm learning. (laughs) Beautiful. I love Reddit. I've been a Redditor since like, I don't know, some ridiculous time, like 2008 or 2009. Okay, sure. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so FDS or female dating strategy, it's basically like, It's like what you might expect from pickup artistry, but from, uh, you know, a woman's perspective, 
it's it's very coercive. It's very manipulative. It encourages this view of men as commodities. I would say that in terms of literature, like you might have heard of the book called Why Men Love Bitches. Mm, Yeah, it's kind of that just that concept taken onto the Internet and given new life um, in this borderless lawless place that we call the internet. Right. Right. Um, So that, but (laughs) dialed up to 11. um, Yeah. And so it's really like, it's really kind of misandrist that space. It talks about men in ways that are very objectifying. Like it's, it's the same ugly crap that you see in some sexist seduction spaces that are catering towards men. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not something I recommend just to make clear. <laughs> right. Like, so, like how a lot of porn is. I mean, it's just. Yeah. Though, I mean, like porn is one of those things that I think, you know, whenever you see like, what do I want to say? Like there's a lot of demonization of porn and I think it's kind of stemming from the same rotten root that gives us things like the alt-right. And I always find it really suspicious when like, you know, quote unquote, so-called feminists are out marching together with very right-wing people protesting porn. It's like, it should make you think if you're out there marching with people who are generally your sworn political enemies, like right. what is going on here? Like really stop and think about that. Yeah. Um, that said, like, yeah, like does, does awful stuff happen in some porn? Yes. Yes. And we need to be vigilant about this. Is there also awesome feminist porn? Yeah, there is. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you you're an author, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, that porn and erotica, right? Like these can be fuel for fantasy, right? Like these can oh, spark, mm-hmm. these can spark up sexual creativity in people. Like they can give people access to pleasure in ways that they haven't been able to experience it before. Like, you know, when we blanket demonize pornography, I mean, it's just it's the same nonsense um, that we that we've kind of been talking about so far. Well, absolutely. I mean, erotica is a tool. It is a tool for yourself. It is a tool for enjoyment. It can be a tool for foreplay, for exposing your partner to something new, enjoying something that you maybe wouldn't even really want to do or something you do. It's a tool and it does get shamed. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, one thing I love um, offering my clients as, as some home play, this is like a slight deviation from the topic we were on, but I think it's timely, you know, is I sometimes have them do erotic storytelling, right. Where they read each other erotica or they write erotica for each other and then read it or, you know, improv style, they create a story together on the fly and those kind of things like, Oh, it can be powerful eroticism and it can create a huge amount of pleasure even without touching each other like that's part of what i think is so wild right our brains are such sexual things too right oh absolutely absolutely like you can get yourself a brain gasm you know it's like 
<laughs> I totally 100% agree. And I just think it's a fabulous thing that it exists. And the more and the, the more and more that gets out in the world, the better. Agreed. Even though it, it's, it, you know, there still are constraints to it. Like, you know, on Amazon, you can't advertise your work, but we can publish it. <sighs> I know, I know. I get so frustrated. I, I've had like several, you know, authors on here too have written like sex ed books and Amazon still won't even let them advertise their books, but they'll publish it, but you can't buy ads, which is so lame because they can target down who they expose the ads to very mm-hmm. easily. Mm-hmm. I know, right? And this is a thing, like it's not just Amazon, it's like everybody yeah. and you know, again, like it's it's one of those things where, you know, why is that? Like, right, right. Why do you think that is that sexual speech is so regulated and so limited in a lot of ways that you know it's it's funny because what was I what was I seeing the other day? Like, I always pay attention to the ads that do come up on Facebook, and ah. like. People can advertise selling spells to make someone fall in love with you. Right. Like somehow that's okay. But (laughs) receiving like good comprehensive sexuality and relationship information. Oh, no, that's a step too far. Or or like most sex toy manufacturers can't advertise unless, of course, they say that their product is a medical device and then you have mm. to medicalize and pathologize. So I saw like a, a Kegel exerciser that goes with an app and okay. it was being successfully advertised, mm. but the graphic had on it in big letters, this is a medical device. Uh, and yeah. it's like, okay, so that's going to be when people go and start reporting this, um, that the reviewer sees that right up front. You know, it's, it's a frustrating thing. And I think a lot of people, a lot of like, you know, average everyday people who aren't sexuality professionals have no idea about this, right? Yeah. Because, oh, totally. you know, in a lot of ways, sex feels so ubiquitous, right? And someone mm-hmm. with like large oily breasts is selling hamburgers every day on the television. Like, what do you mean? Right. And know, it's like, right? well, <laughs> when you see that though, like, what are you seeing? Like what is allowed and what isn't allowed? Right. And why is it that way? You know, why is it, you know, that those oily hamburger breasts, uh, as what I'll call them for for shorthand, you know, are <laughs> on uh, a body that is very often white, that is very often mm-hmm. thin, that is very often an able body, that is very mm-hmm. often someone who's often dressed to look like a member of the upper class, right? Right. What messages are baked in there? Who's allowed? Whose sexuality is allowed and whose isn't? Right, exactly. And it also makes me think of like, you know, underwear manufacturers, bra manufacturers can show all these images if they're selling a product. But an erotica author, if they show a very similar image on a book cover, could get their book cover rejected. And it's Mm -hmm. like the same image. <laughs> it's unreal. Oh, no, the whole thing that Kindle authors go through to get their covers approved or sent to the basement is like a whole thing that again that your average person, your average consumer, your average 
like person scrolling through options on Amazon is going to have no idea about, right? Oh yeah. They're not even going to think about it because they're used to seeing ads. You might see a woman shaving her pubic area with barely any underwear on, but that can be shown anywhere, right? But (laughs) you, you show a similar image of, you know, with anything related to sex and it's, it's kicked off. It's bad. It's evil. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's kind of a drag. (laughs) It is. It is. And people, yeah, people don't, I don't think other people think about this kind of stuff until they're faced with it. Or, you know, people like us that work in the field, see these things. They don't, they don't even think about it. Oh yeah. There's a woman shaving her, you know, her pubic area. Well, and you know what it serves to do, (laughs) right? You know what it serves to do, Ruin? It's like, when I think both about people who come to me to work with me as my clients and also thinking about my professional colleagues, Mm -hmm. this isn't benign, right? Like we're like laughing and sighing about it right now because it is a drag and something that we have to think about. But, you know, thinking about my colleagues, so many of them say, I feel so alone. I feel like I'm the only practitioner, When in actuality, there may actually be several people around them, creators or artists or authors like you or other sex coaches or sex therapists or erotic performers or burlesque dancers or boudoir photographers, right? Like you could be totally surrounded and have no idea. And that's part of why this is so insidious. It's also... When I think about my clients, right, what I hear so regularly is, well, oh, but, you know, maybe that works in America, Sarah, but I live in a conservative country or I live in a small town, not a big city, or I live in a conservative city or this, that or the other. You know, there's nobody like me here. And I'm just thinking, oh, my sweet summer child, you are surrounded (laughs) by hedonists and you know, if you're in a conservative environment, you know, like I'm not saying that to play it down, like, you know, in certain parts of the world, it can be actively dangerous to be yes. seen as anything other than conforming exactly to the expected standard. Right. 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 So I don't mean to trivialize that. Right. But if I'm talking about, say, you know, I, I'm thinking about some of my friends who live in conservative countries in Europe or some of my colleagues or some of my clients um, that, you know, there's more people around you than you think. Yes. And that once you start to open yourself up to that possibility to consider that that may in fact actually be true and start to put yourself out there in terms of your actual desires When you start behaving like a slutty activist, what tends to happen is you start to find the others who are all around you and have always been all around you. And you were just blind to it because the world tries to keep you blind to it. And one way is by, um, let, you know, by deciding who can and who cannot advertise, right? Who can and cannot have an easier time being visible. True, true. It makes me think of, I was interviewing an author who is also a swinger. He and his wife have been swingers for many, many years. And Mm -hmm. he said to me, (laughs) he said, if anyone doesn't believe this, they are just, they're clueless or they're, they're just living their heads in the sand anywhere. He said, anywhere in the United States within 50 miles of every person is a swinger group. Yep. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. And and that, that kind of shocked me. I was like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Because yeah, like you said, it's not advertised until you get connected to people. Then you're like, oh, here, here, there, everywhere. And it's just interesting how people who have a more prudish or a more vanilla view that they're like, no, that's not true. That's not true at all. No, people are like me. They're not like you. You know what I mean? But that just really just struck a chord with me when he said that. And I was like, wow, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. And that's, and, but the thing is, it's not just the prudish people who, who disbelieve that to be true. Right. It's also your budding hedonists, your budding well, aspiring yeah. slutty activists, right. Who sure, think sure, they sure. are alone and that's it. Right. It's, yeah, you know, the power structures all around us, if they want one thing more than anything else, it's to make us feel desperately alone and broken in a way that we mustn't admit to anybody uh, lest we be cast out. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because right. then we're doing the work for them for free. Yeah. Right. Then we internalize their poison. And, you know, like and I'm using kind of like forceful language here, but that's deliberate. Like, yeah, this yeah. is messed up. And that yeah. so many people get this shame installed in them as part of their process of growing up. Like, yes. It's not an accident, right? It's so very clearly systemic. Oh, it's and it's it's beyond manipulative. And you don't realize it. If you grow up a certain way, you're right. not going to really realize that until maybe you're an adult. Maybe then maybe you'll see the manipulation there, but you may not. You may be so entrenched that you don't even you don't even see it or get it. Exactly. You might be ha have no idea, right? No awareness that because there's there's a lot of things that we consider normal that we don't question, right? Like yes. I don't spend much time wondering if gravity is real. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, you know, I mean, like that's that's kind of a flippant example because like I also have some lived experiences of gravity and I can go, oh, okay. But like mm -hmm. other bits of assumed knowledge, right? That we mm -hmm. might not question, like like even about like how to cook certain things like that often comes to my mind. Like I've been discovering things as an adult that I've been doing wrong in the kitchen my whole life. <laughs> right. You know, and, and it's because we don't question it or there's this, um, I'm sure you've heard this story, right. Or this fable that, you know, a, a, a person's mother always prepared their salmon by like cutting off, like, the head and the tail of the fish to put it inside of a pan and bake it, even though they were also cutting off like some of the good parts of the fish. Sure. And they were doing this when like a friend witnessed them and was like, Hey, what are you doing? Like, why are you going to throw away all this fish? And they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, this is just how you do it. Right. This is how my mom did it. It's how her mom did it. And so on and so on. Right. And then she goes and she like asks her mom, says, oh, yeah, my mom always did it that way. So she goes, asks her grandma who says, oh, well, the reason I did that is because like the only pan that I had was a certain size. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and and that's such a, a great example of how like we often don't question these things. Right. True. Because. Oh, yeah. If we questioned everything, like our brains would like just short circuit and go, oh my goodness, cannot process this much data all at once, right? Like right. I, it's not to knock our heuristics. We need them to be able to function. 
And so part of my work and part of the work of all sexuality professionals and like part of the impact of slutty activists is to give people a reason to pause and go, wait, hang on, you know, do I have these assumptions that I'm making about sexuality and is it possible that they're not true? Right. Yes. To examine where they came from. Do I have to believe this? And can I think of it a different way? Yeah. 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 And is that okay? Is that okay with me? Is that okay with my partner? Is that okay with my society? And do I care? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, and it's one of the things that's a real privilege in my work is getting to witness and support people as they go on that journey of inquiry and self-discovery, you know, where I begin with all of my clients is, is with desire and, you know, working on pinning down what it is that they actually want to experience. And, you know, anybody who's listening today, like, you know, what do you want for your sexual life? Like what sexual experiences do you want to have? And oftentimes when people are early on, they might say something like, I want a girlfriend or I want a hookup Mm -hmm. or, well, I know I don't want X, Y, Z. And like, you know, that's a starting point. And yet the more specific, right, the more detailed, the more nuanced you can be in identifying and defining those desires, the easier it becomes to realize them. And I think a lot of people have never had that opportunity to go, wait, what do you mean? Like, people often come to me and say, I want a girlfriend. And I say, why? And they go, duh. And I go, oh no, but like, really, why? What would you, what experiences do you want to share? What would you like to actually do together? And that's where they pause and go, huh, (laughs) let me think about that. Right. 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 It's ingrained in them to just want one, but yeah. Why, why do you want one? That's just an interesting thing to reflect on. Well, and because like, and here's the thing. Sometimes I get the criticism that like, oh my God, Sarah, this is just semantics. Mm. Language is actually really important. Like it's what we scaffold our thinking process on. Exactly. And what a girlfriend means for me might be very different for what a girlfriend means for you, which might be very different for what a girlfriend means for, you know, Johnny cream cheese over here. Right. Right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And part of where people get hurt or disappointed over and over again is that, you know, they think they want the same thing as someone else and then come to discover that, oh, like, no, (laughs) but that's in part because, right, they weren't clear themselves on what they wanted. So how could they check if there's a true combat? compatibility with a partner or potential partner. But we're not really taught to think about it that way. We're taught to, okay, you know, find a partner, make a life. You know, it's, it's, you know, nobody thinks about that. Nobody talks about it when you first start dating. And that's maybe that's what you're, you're trying to teach people to do or to think about. Well, no, I mean, it's, I think it's worse than that. Like, I actually think we're actively given very toxic messages by popular culture and, very, very toxic messages about like, you know, quote unquote, falling in love or, you know, it's one of those things, like I've thought about this quite a bit too, Ruin, that 
folks often say to me like, oh, like when I talk to them about consent practices, for example, and they say, oh, well, won't that ruin the mood? You know, because one thing I teach is how to talk about sex before sex. Right. And I'm thinking like, what do you identify as the mood? Because I think, I think what a lot of people think about as like, you know, quote unquote, sexual tension is actually like anxiety, right? Mm. It's like this state of arousal that isn't an arousal coming from like pleasurable anticipation. It's an arousal that's being driven by fear. Yeah. And then what does that do? Like what flows from interactions like that? And what happens when you create a sense of mass confusion in a society about what, like, what's love, what's lust? Like, it, it, again, it it makes connection, authentic, intimate connection more difficult, right? Yes, it does. Absolutely. Very interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way before. Mm. Well, it drives me nuts, right? Like, there's this, there's this amazing YouTube clip, which I recommend everybody go watch. Like, it's from a rabbi whose name I forget, but if you search fish love, okay, it's this uh, story about fish love. And it basically goes like this. Uh, I'll tell it because it's very short, but watch the video too. You know, uh, a young man says to a rabbi, Rabbi, I love fish. And the rabbi goes, oh, you love fish, do you? Is that why you take them out of the water, kill them, cook and eat their flesh? You know, mm. it, you don't love the fish, young man, you love yourself. Right. And that has stuck with me since I first came across it, because I think what a lot of people do when they talk about love is they talk about fish love. Mm. Whereas, you know, I've always conceived of love as as a verb rather than an adjective, right? Or rather than mm. a noun, right? It's this active process that we yeah. engage in. Sure. And you know, it's interesting because like in English too, you know, I can say I love Taco Bell as easily as I can say, you know, I love my partner. <laughs> right. Those are not right. the same which thing. Is, which is almost silly if you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And then also like, again, I don't think it's entirely benign because what do I do with Taco Bell? You know, like I pay for consume it and it. I consume it. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's a means to a different end for me yeah. rather than, mm -hmm. a, you know, an end in itself. Right. And so, yeah, like I, I spend a lot of time thinking about this because it used to it used to annoy me and I couldn't articulate why mm. when clients would talk about, oh, I'm addicted to falling in love. And I would be like, mm, I don't think that's what you're addicted <laughs> to. But anyway, like that's maybe a conversation for another day. I try to not go totally off piste. <laughs> Very interesting, though, I have to say. <laughs> hmm. It's all connected, though, like these in, in all cases. Is what we've been taught is what we've been given by our society, our culture, our media, our pop culture, our peers. Like you can ask yourself, does it facilitate authentic connection with others or does it make it harder to connect authentically? Do you have to hide who you are in order right. to be? quote unquote, worthy of connection in a certain circumstance that can provide pretty big clues to whether you're dealing with an opportunity for authenticity or whether you're dealing with a power structure that doesn't want to be challenged. Right. 
So what do you suggest people do? Like, I know you, you know, you can listen to your podcast, you know, you can think about things a different way, but what is the average person who's just stuck in this, but they want to get out? You know, they can live their life away, like you said, but is there anything else they can do? I mean, I guess maybe exposing yourself to more things. I don't know. I mean, you can't really change someone's mind. You can try to influence them, but you can't really like change their mind. If you have someone who's in opposition to you as you're doing this. Well, to an extent, right. I mean, what can you do? There's a whole smorgasbord of opportunities available for exploring sexuality and sexual self-realization once you decide that's what you want to do, right? Right, right. Like, there's not just me. You've got like a right. whole podcast catalog full of incredible people who are working in this field. And like we've discussed today, you might struggle to find us at first because, you know, we're not allowed to advertise in the way normal you know, quote unquote, normal other businesses do. <laughs> right. Uh, I think, I think what I do is totally normal, but I realize right. that that is <laughs> maybe a biased opinion. Um, I hate the word normal. I don't think there is a normal and people who think there is a normal, I think they're the problem. Yeah. Because they think the normal is them. Yeah. Normal is a whole other discussion, right? It's, <laughs> it is. Again, it's not a it's not a particularly benign term itself. But I, in I don't case, like the word normal. <laughs> no, me neither. So you asked me what what somebody can do, right? Yes. Yes. And part of that like I think one of the most powerful things you can do is to make pleasure a focus in your life in ways mm. large and small. You know, yeah. it doesn't have to be all orgasmic pleasure all the time, folks. Like, again, that's part of what that's part of the myth that we're fed, right? That mm. pleasure always means sexual pleasure, always means hedonism and debauchery and deviance and so on and so forth when you right. know pleasure could be allowing yourself to really feel where it feels nice when the water touches your skin in the shower or the way the air smells after it's rained or like the way you feel when you see your cat snoring you know like allowing for pleasure paying attention to it focusing on it every day that's already a pretty radical act in a society that wants to keep you disembodied and disconnected from yourself, right? Because connecting to pleasure is self-connection in a big mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And that's also one of the foundational skills to becoming an extraordinary lover, because until you can connect with your own pleasure, how can you share that with somebody else? You know, right. I sometimes work with clients you know, and I, I do very little couples work these days, but occasionally I will take on a couple's client. And one thing I've seen is sometimes, you know, couples get stuck in this place where, you know, what they're looking for from a sexual interaction is for their partner to desire them. Like that becomes a cornerstone right. in terms of their experience of satisfaction. And the yes. thing is, if you've got two people who are doing that, then <laughs> everybody's walking away feeling hurt or disappointed or unsatisfied. Right. And the way to the way through that, like the way into the connection that is what they're searching for inside of those experiences is through self-discovery of pleasure and how it works for you. 
And also because newsflash, we are all different in like how pleasure specifically works for us. You know, I think that's another thing that that is done to try to keep us from connection and pleasure is to have the idea that men and women are a monolith. And of course, in that mythos, there's only two genders, which right. again, like the more you look at it, you know, it's like, it's uh it's turtles all the way down. Right. Like it's, <laughs> it's, and, and at the same time, you know, like once you, once you learn to see it, you can't unsee it. Right. And, and the thing is like, once you become more connected to pleasure, right. Once you're having regular daily experiences of pleasure and like pleasure also helps you to be more present in the moment, you know? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm mindfulness is such a commodified buzzword like sure you can meditate and stuff and that's great and it works well for a lot of people and at the same time another way to access presence is through pleasure right, right. Yep. like yep. it doesn't have to be this aesthetic discipline where you know it's all like minimalist color schemes and whatever like it can be a riot of color and orgasm and joy right that also brings you into the present moment but once you have this in your life like it doesn't stop with you it can't because that starts to impact how you show up in all of your interactions like sexual mm -hmm. romantic or otherwise like right. you might find that you know, friends and family want to hang out with you more and they don't know what's changed about you, but something's changed and they feel better when you're around. That's going to be in part because like you're actually present when you're with them. Right. You know, this is what I mean. And like, this is what I talk about when I talk about slutty activism or, you know, it's what the podcast takes you through about how a lot of these things that seem like they're so minor, you think like, oh, this is just navel gazing. This is just about me and my own life. <laughs> like the thing is when it's relational, my goodness, it doesn't stop with you. It has this tremendous, tremendous ripple effect. And you, you might think to yourself, like, how can it be that simple and, and that inexpensive in a way too, you know, we're often taught that like successful revolution is so expensive and none of us can afford it. Whereas, right. you know, our ability to connect authentically with each other is a huge part of what we need to create change organically. And it's already within us. All we have to do is change our viewpoint. I mean, how simple yeah. is that? You know, just pleasure. I mean, it's, it's such a simple thing, but it's so brilliant at the same time. Well, you know, and just because it's simple doesn't make it easy, right? All of the Ooh. things we've talked about here, we've talked about toxic messaging from society. We've talked about mm. the demonization of pleasure and sex, whether metaphorically or like quite literally, according to certain religious groups in society, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. That going against these things like requires courage. It is yeah. vulnerable. It True. is a bit of a leap of faith, especially like when I tell people like, oh no, you're surrounded by sluts, right? Like you're surrounded mm -hmm. by hedonists. You can't see them, but they're there. <laughs> they're there. <laughs> like choosing to believe that and then act on that belief. Oh my goodness. Like that is courageous. That is mm -hmm. tremendously vulnerable. And that's, why it's hard. And that's part of why I'm doing what I do to try to build this community and this movement around these ideas, because 
once you start to see and realize just how many of us there are, you start to feel a little bit more excited and hopeful about the future because there are more of us than there are of them. Like there are more people who are peaceful and loving and who want pleasure and who want great sexual experiences and who want that connection with each other. Then there are people who want to live within rigid hierarchies, right? Right. And the more visible we become, the ones who are stuck in those rigid hierarchies, wondering to themselves, does everyone else know this is bullshit or is it just me? When you show up and live your life and become visible, like those people can see you too, right? And then Mm -hmm. those people start to get an idea that there might be another way, right? And that's the power in in it and it's so it's so simple like and it still moves me to to speak about because like all that is at the end of the day is just being authentically who you are like yes. <laughs> that in that way you can be an example that can change somebody else's life right it's kind of the thing where you know you see somebody preaching about something on the street screaming yelling it throw it in your face you know you're bad you're condemned versus someone who lives the genuine life of who they are. Who are you going to listen to? You're not going to listen to the one that's screaming in your face. You're going to look, look, oh, look at how this person's living. It, it's Nobody likes to be yelled at. Yeah. And I mean, like at the same time, like I'm not going to say there's not a time for yelling. Like well, we true. have reasons to be <laughs> pissed off. And like, I just want to make it yeah, clear. Like, I think it's totally true. appropriate to to get mad and take action, you know, things like, Oh, absolutely. Yes. I agree with that. Protests and so on. Like I support them. I'm there Mm. and we can do this too. And I think when we allow pleasure to infuse our various movements, slutty activism or otherwise, we make them sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. Like this, this isn't going to be done in an afternoon. Like this is the work of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And if you want to stay involved in it, like, it's a lot easier to do things when you get a bit of a dopamine reward from it, right? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's good that, you know, podcasts are great too, because like you said, it's out in the, you know, the wild, crazy, borderless area of our world. And mm-hmm. we can continue to grow that. I mean, look at how many sexuality podcasts there are. There's mm-hmm. a ton of them. They're great. And some people don't even know they exist. Yeah, right? And <laughs> I met somebody the other day who didn't even know what a podcast was. They said, what's a podcast? I looked at them like, what did you just say? <laughs> oh, but then I'm so excited for them because that yeah, means they're yeah. right at the beginning and they've got this whole other world they get to discover. And it's the same like like I always include on my podcast, like a welcome and a reassurance that no experience is necessary because like, this is for everyone, you know, like, it's not Mm -hmm. like, you know, I work with a lot of like later in life um, folks who haven't had partner sex. So they might identify as virgins, but I work with a lot of these folks Mm. who sometimes feel like, you know, like, am I even allowed into these spaces? It's like, hell yeah, you are (laughs) like, hell yes, you are. Yes. Oh, it's so sad that they feel like they're not like they that they're so limited that they can't can't even do that. 
Yeah. Well, and, and it's one of those things where like, I'm constantly having to remind myself to put out these invitations and to make sure that I'm acknowledging where people are right now. And I do it imperfectly and I mess it up just like we all do. So it's Mm -hmm. a, you know, a reminder on that level to like things that seem basic or assume knowledge to you are definitely not to other people. So as often as you can try and, you know, speak to people and let them know that they're, that they're welcome, right. To let them know that this is for you too. The part that I have a hard time with is the people who just would rather sit there and shame you for what you're doing. <sighs> well, you know, there are always those people, aren't there? Yeah, there are. And <laughs> it can help to remember, right, that when they do that, it's often coming from a place of deep shame within themselves. Yeah. And so they go and project it out and splatter it around on others within their radius. So... Mm you know, it's not an excuse. And at the same time, being able to generate that compassion makes living one's own life, at least for me, a bit more tolerable to remind myself they're human too. And if they're doing it, it's because they're suffering and and they might not even be aware that that's what's going on. So I don't have to engage with it. And internally I can wish them well, and maybe and it can be worth remembering that at the same time, that interaction that you have with them, be it like online in a comments thread or at a gathering or at a family reunion, right? Your example might be the catalyst that eventually unlocks their change, right? We never mm-hmm. know if the seeds that we're sowing in any given moment are the thing that finally tip things over for somebody or set them off on a path. So I don't know. I I generally don't feel like hopeless in those encounters, even if I feel like a bit like, oh, really this again? And I I have pretty low toleration for receiving things like that. So I'm usually not in those interactions for very long anyway. Right. Time to move on. Exactly. It's yeah, yeah, it's a complete turnoff. And it's yeah, you just want to just move on, get away. Yep. Yep. So in your in your course about keep it casual, where you're in a course about using online dating for hookups and friends with benefits, pickup artists. Do you actually teach people like uh, strategies or is it more of a mindset? What what exactly do you teach in that? Yeah. So that course, Keep It Casual, that was a labor of love last year. And mm. it's it's a pretty comprehensive end-to-end, okay, so you want to start having hookups. Here's what you can do. Some of it is mindset. Some of it is actual like strategy. So like strategically, Mm -hmm. how are you going to approach this? Some of it's communication skills. So how you go about asking directly for what you want and also how to optimize your online dating profile for uh, casual sex hookups, friends with benefits Mm, with like checklists and templates. There's lots of great juicy stuff in there. Nice. So it's very actionable as well as, you know, helping you think of things a certain way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I provide a lot of tools and examples and things that you can use in order to support you in coming up with your own approach to it. Because it's 
it's no point in just copying me, right? Like you want to take it and make it your own, but there's basic principles baked in that again, honor the autonomy of everyone involved and recognize the inherent worthiness of everybody in the interaction. I would love to. Yeah. I saw one of the things on your, um, well, you do have a link tree, right? You have a link tree. I do. Or, yeah, I do. Yeah. And it was, um, a, a an article you wrote about learning to dirty talk. What do you think is the value of dirty talk in relationships? And how would, how, how, how does someone get comfortable doing that? When say one partner wants to do it and the other one does not, is there any way to come together in that? Or is it just something you have to write off as it's not, you can't meet each other there. So you have to just let it go. So what I often suggest in those circumstances, the first thing I would ask, like if you were my client and you said that to me, is I would say, well, did you talk about this sort of in a clothes on kitchen table sense or did you talk about it while you were in the middle of having sex with each other? Mm. Because oftentimes I would suggest having a clothes on not erotically charged conversation about things that you're interested in trying with each other. Mm. Mm -hmm. And part of what can facilitate having conversations like that would be to say something to your partner like, hey, would you have 15 minutes to talk about our sex life? I had an idea and I wanted to see what you think of it and then stick to that time boundary. Like this sort of thing in terms of really being clear about what you want to discuss and placing some boundaries about it so that your partner's not going, okay, well, if I say yes to this, are we going to spend the next four hours talking about our sex life? Or, right, right. you know, there kind of is a show I want to watch, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that can help. And sometimes what I'm often working with my clients to do is to, to make it so that you really like welcome, no, like making it really easy to say no to you, which feels so counterintuitive for a lot of people, right? Right. But the reason being is that the easier it is for someone to say no to you, the easier it is for them to say yes. True. And so here, what I might suggest in that conversation would be to say something like, you know, hey, so-and-so, so like, you know, you get consent up front to, you know, talk for 15 minutes about dirty talk. You could say like, I wanted to just clarify a bit what I meant by that. You know, I'm not necessarily looking for, you know, like dirty talk that I'm interested in exploring is like this, this and this, because in my article, I talk about different ways to do dirty talk, because a lot of people, when they hear that, they immediately think of like trope lines from porn. Yeah, and yeah. Oftentimes trope lines that are humiliating, degrading, aggressive triggers, um, right? Triggers. And so that can cause like without any context for some people, that's why it's a blanket, no response. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, dirty talk could also include something like, oh, I love the way you smell. Like, I love your sweat, like talking about some of the sensual parts of the experience that you're having sure. together mm -hmm. or talking about what you want. Like, I want you to sit on my face, you know, right. That can be, or even just like moaning or grunting. It doesn't even have to be words, right? True. Just vocalizations mm -hmm. can also come under this umbrella of dirty talk. And so when you expand that definition, when you provide that context 
where you make ample room to say no. And even in this case, if it's something contentious, you could say something like, you know, I know before you haven't been interested. I want to give you plenty of space to think about this. Could I check in with you in a week? Right. Like, mm-hmm. so give them plenty of space and then you do not bring it up again for the time that you agreed you wouldn't bring it up. Like, this is another thing I see sometimes happening within like uh, partnership dynamics, right? Somebody really wants to try something. And so they're almost like badgering the other person like about goading. it. Yeah. Is, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a coercive tactic, right? That's highly manipulative. Yeah. And so if that's been part of your pattern, oh, it's going to take some time to to build up trust that actually it's okay to say no to you and actually it's okay to take some time. So, you know, when you ask me that question, I'm like immediately thinking, okay, well, like what is the context surrounding the situation? So I hope I've touched on a couple of different dynamics there. And I mean, dirty talk can be great fun uh, for, for people to explore. And again, because there's this wider definition than you may have yourself thought about before. It opens up new possibilities. And it's also a lot easier to do that kind of, I don't know, dirty talk where you just talk about what's true rather than trying to like think in your head about how do I sound as much like a porn star as possible? Because right. <laughs> again, what does that do if you get stuck up in your head while well, you're becoming disembodied, you're not present in the moment. And then it's, yeah. you know, that's felt by your partner. And then So if you've had a negative experience of dirty talk before, either for that reason that everything got really awkward and it just didn't feel good and you weren't sure why, or because your partner used a bunch of trigger phrases and it was like, oh my goodness, like I'm never doing this again. Right. Like that's because there's all of these baked in assumptions or this Mm -hmm. overthinking that kicked off and there's other ways to do it. So yeah, I... I think I gave you my resources link and you can include that in the show notes if anybody wants to go and check out this article because it can be super easy and super fun. Oh, absolutely. I'll definitely include all that. And I just think it's a good idea for people to realize there are different levels and it doesn't have to be using words like, you know, whore, you know what I mean? Like you, you can yeah. be, Hey, you, you know, your sweat smells amazing or, you know, anything simple like that. There's so many different levels of dirty talk. It doesn't have to be what you've seen in porn or what is in your head of what you think dirty talk is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what I really like about what you said, too, is that often I feel like in relationships, people will start to talk about something and then all these other things pile in and then they get like encroach on the topic. But if you upfront say, this is what we're going to talk about for 15 minutes, I think there's less likely that people are going to pull in this other shit that's going on in their relationship. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because then that just, not only do you not get to talk about what you mean to talk about, it's it's taken away from your connection because you're bringing in all this other shit. Well, and here's the thing, right? Like we're not really taught sexual communication skills or how to do sexual negotiation. And Mm -hmm. that can, you know, lead to this feeling that some people get that they've been sold a lie because they get into relationships and they've been promised that that's going to be like the ultimate sexual fulfillment. And then they realize like, what, what's wrong with me? Am I broken or whatever? Like, because I'm not experiencing this ultimate fulfillment and it's like, oh man, you know, these, these lies are actively harmful to people. They are. 
I saw something on Instagram the other day, and I'm trying to remember the word. It was a new word to me. It was um, the difference between jealousy and was it commercial? Compersion. Compersion. Yes. Do you know about this and what do you have to say about it? Yeah. So, I mean, this is often talked about a lot in the ethically non-monogamy or mm-hmm. like the polyamory communities. Sure. Um, because jealousy is this thing that's a very common human experience and one that we're taught to expect in relationships too, right? Like Mm -hmm. the, the toxic myth that we're all fed is that jealousy is a sign of love when it's not like it's a sign of a person having a compound emotional experience that usually includes a few different things. Like jealousy can be made up of a couple different emotions. And then it, it, you know, jealousy, the way that I came to understand it was this sense of, you have something and I don't want you to have it. Like that's the voice of jealousy. Whereas compersion is often talked about as like feeling pleasure at your partner's pleasure, Mm -hmm. which that, you know, could very much be within the context of like there with one of your metamors or so that's like your partner's other partners who aren't you. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that maybe you, see them happy or they post a picture on social or they're sharing about their like their interactions with each other and and then you feel good when you hear that instead of feeling like you know that that gnarly fist of jealousy grabbing your right. throat right mm-hmm. yep though i would i would argue that actually like society tries to teach us to not be compersive in all of our relationships, right? We're we're given this very competitive ethos from the time we're very young Mm -hmm. to where, you know, if someone's succeeding, that must mean you're failing. And and you see this sometimes, like if you start having successful things happen in your life, if you start achieving some of your dreams, a lot of people have this really jarring experience where a person they considered a friend is suddenly like, oh, well, you're getting a bit big for your britches. Right. And like, you know, instead of that support or being happy for you, like they're actively not. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think compersion and jealousy are very much at work there too. Like they're yes. descriptors of these relational experiences that we have with each other. Cause you don't feel jealousy outside of relational contexts. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, what do I have to say about that? I think, you know, one thing you want to be careful of if you're in ethical non-monogamy or polyamory is, you know, people who try to beat you over the head with compersion being like, oh, well, you should feel compersion. Like, you know, you're responsible for your feelings. Like sometimes people almost wield this like a weapon where it's Mm -hmm. like, don't come at me with your hurt feelings. And that's not really what it's yeah. about. <laughs> like, right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's again, like we're, we're so inculcated in this notion about achievement and like the shoulds. Right. Mm-hmm. So rather it's like, instead saying, you know, an experience other than jealousy is possible that in fact, it is actually possible to feel pleasure at news of your partner's pleasure or joy or happiness and that it's probably going to take a little bit of like self-inquiry and processing to arrive there 
And I also like, I don't really agree with the demonization of jealousy. I think all emotions are information, right? It's yeah. the ancient part of you trying to tell you something. And sure. it doesn't speak, you know, the same language that your prefrontal cortex does, right? Like right. it's speaking to you in this like ancient, fast, primal, primal way. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's worth spending a little bit of time just getting curious if you're feeling a lot of jealousy and like, especially if you've got like, say you're um, polyamorous and you've got one partner where you feel tons of jealousy and another partner where you feel tons of compersion. Right. Okay. Well, you know, what's happening? Like what is the overall context of your relationship? Like, are you being treated with, autonomy and love and respect by, you know, the partner where you're having jealousy or actually are they putting you down? Are they like not treating you as somebody who's worthy or deserving? You know, like these are the kind of things to get curious about because jealousy often has something important to share with us. It might just not be what, what the first thing that comes to mind is. I'll say it that way. It's very interesting to think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it definitely is time for, yeah, self-reflection. Why am I feeling this? Mm-hmm. You know, what? Why do I feel it about this person, but not about the other person, especially in that type of a situation where you're in a polyamorous relationship? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's all clues. And I think the sooner we stop shaming ourselves and each other for the emotional experiences we have. And the sooner we recognize that, like, you know, our, our emotional cognition is as important as our verbal cognition, right? Like they all have a place. Uh, I think that, that, that just, it takes a lot of the steam out of it, right? It takes a lot of the, like, shame tension that people get related to emotions out of it. And it doesn't mean that you're broken if you're experiencing jealousy, you know, you have to kind of, because if you're broken, then what's the point, right? Like you kind of have to recognize that actually there's a reason for this and that that's, you know, like to be expected given these circumstances, blah, blah, blah. Like you got to figure out what those circumstances are. Then you can actually, get some movement going instead of feeling stuck. Right. Yeah. The getting the feeling stuck is just frustrating and it doesn't help it doesn't help anyone. I mean in the It's so demoralizing yeah. too to to get in that stuck place, right? That can be that's where people can have some of those dark nights of the soul. Yeah. Oh absolutely. And to come back from that is not necessarily an easy process. Yeah. The longer you let it fester, the the harder it often is. Yeah. Well, when I was looking at your content, I came across something I had never heard of before, which I always like to talk about something I never heard of before. You're mm-hmm. um, the death grip syndrome. I have oh. never heard of this. And I, and I read the article and it's like, wow, I never, I never even heard that term before. Um, it's just very interesting. Would you like to talk about that? Sure. I mean, in brief, like there, there are, communities online that talk a lot about death grip. Uh, Death grip, what that means is um, a person, generally um, a person with a penis who masturbates with 
a really large amount of pressure, an amount of pressure that cannot be experienced with uh, within a vagina or an anus or a mouth. Like so often with like a really tight gripped with a fist or it could be things like humping a mattress or a pillow where the amount of pressure is actually their full amount of body weight. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. What this can do is it can then mean when they're in a partner sex situation, um, whether, you know, it's with somebody with a uh, like whether we're talking about a vagina or a mouth or an anus here that they can be having penetrative intercourse and struggle to experience orgasm, um, also have struggles with like maintaining an erection in the way that they would like to, like, I like to, again, like my caveats around language because like Mm -hmm. erections wax and wane, and that's a very natural thing. But in this case, it it can often be a case of you're really aroused, but then start going soft because there's not that amount of stimulation that you're expecting there. Mm, Right. And I chose to write that article because I had a client who asked me once like, Hey, like, do you know of any sex positive resources about death grip? Because the internet is full of a lot of sex negative resources about death grip. One of the worst among them being the NoFap community, which is anti-masturbation mm. for for men. Not oh, and like yes. I'm talking about the like idea of that community as a whole. It's not to demonize anybody who participates in it. I totally understand why people wind up within nofap. So I don't mean any shade to them. I just want to like put out the beacon. There is another way and you don't have to give up masturbation entirely. Like there's, there is a different path. And this article outlines that. And I wrote it because I'm just like, I'm like, surely one of my colleagues has already done this and I can just send him a link to, you know, a resource that, you know, a colleague has already made. Right. And I couldn't find one like, wow, <laughs> like the the least awful one was one that Dan Savage made, but it still wound up being quite shamey. So I'm like, wow, okay, okay, then I guess I'll just write my own yeah. like sex positive death grip resource because like it's a pretty straightforward challenge to resolve where you do not have to give up masturbation. Right. That's it's about right. learning a different skill set and allowing your like allowing yourself to focus on pleasurable sensation that comes mm-hmm. not from that very large application of pressure and like again it's such an insidious cycle why do so many people with penises masturbate like that well because when they were young right they were trying to keep it hidden so yeah. the aim was as fast as possible as quiet as possible to orgasm. So somebody doesn't walk in on you while it's happening. And that's very often where these habits of very forceful, high, like high pressure, not in terms of other people pressuring you, but like the pressure that you're using with your hand or your body, like that's usually where this begins and it becomes a habit of a lifetime. And then suddenly you're having partner sex and going, what the hell is wrong with my body? Why can't I orgasm? And then when you go and you search on Google, well, like no faps right there and waiting to prey on you mm-hmm. and right. all of your insecurities. Right. So hopefully there's enough SEO juice with that article now that maybe there's a chance they'll see that sex positive perspective 
instead. Right. <clears throat> well, that was just, that's just fabulous that you wrote it. And I, yeah, I'm kind of shocked too. I mean, first of all, I hadn't really heard the term, but I knew what you were talking about in this article when I read it. And mm-hmm. then just to have it out there for people, I, you know, I hadn't heard of the term, but I knew about the phenomenon of it. So, you know, it's out there and people feel kind of, I'm sure people feel trapped because they are stuck in this cycle. Yeah. And like for some of the people that experience it, like it can feel humiliating. You can wind up feeling like you're broken. You can start like getting this whole additional anxiety loop on top of, um, you know, that's growing and building every time you're approaching having partner sex with someone. And it can turn into this really, like really unpleasant and painful experience. And that's not what I want for the world, like more pleasure, more connection. And again, that starts with ourselves a lot of the time. So, so yeah, that's, oh, that's so cool that you checked out that article. <laughs> well, I was so, I'm so curious what it was. Cause I'm like, what could this possibly be? And then as I was reading, I'm like, oh yeah, okay. That makes sense. But I hadn't heard the term. So I'm just like, oh wow, this is a thing. And you know, I'd never researched it, but now let me ask you this. What do you think about this applying to, could this apply to females with sex toys? Yeah. I mean, it's the same sort of thing. Cause like there's a whole, eh, there's a whole stream of influencers like Instagram and elsewhere that like to talk about like vibrator addiction. Yeah. Like you're not addicted to your vibrator. Like again, no. you're, <laughs> you're, it, it can be very much the same principle that like putting in a degree of stimulation that can't be replicated with hands or tongues or lips or penises Mm -hmm. and then having partner sex encounters and going, Oh my goodness, like, what do I do though? I, I do often like make the case and I talk about this in the keep it casual course, you know, one recommendation I have for people with vulvas to make their, hookups more pleasurable is like bring your vibrator with you you know yeah. get a good mm-hmm. decent like handheld one that can fit in your purse and bring it with you because there's no yeah. shame in like if you're going to be having uh penetrative sex and also right. needing or wanting clitoral stimulation to experience orgasm like that's super duper common and yes. there's plenty of people that don't experience orgasm through penetration alone And like, I know there's some people in the field who are evangelists and they're like, everybody can learn to experience orgasm through penetration. It's like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but like, who cares? Like if you can, (laughs) if you can reliably (laughs) experience orgasm through clitoral stimulation, hell yeah, go for it. Absolutely. And I think that's just paying attention to your own needs and your own body. If you know, you come that way, bring the damn vibrator. You should. Yeah. And there's no shame in that. You know, if you're saying to yourself, oh, you know, but I want to be able to experience orgasm through more gentle manual stimulation or oral stimulation. Great. You can do that, too. And it's a very similar sort of process and practice as um, if you're working with death grip and a penis. So, right. you know, like we can we can exercise that mu- muscle that allows us to focus on pleasurable sensations, be they subtle or be they quite intense. 
So are you a promoter of sex toys then, or are you, do you not so much promote them? Oh my goodness. Hell yeah. Like, yes, <laughs> it's so fun. And there's like such a variety of yes. things and, you know, like, and, you know, you can get sex toys, not just at like the sex shop, but also, right. you know, Ikea or mm-hmm. Tiger or home goods stores. If you get a little bit creative, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm all about pleasure and joy and why would I yuck somebody else's yum? And uh, I yes. myself love sex toys. And if you don't, that's fine. You don't ever have to use them if you don't want to. Right. Some people are actually scared of them, you know, which I think mm-hmm. is just um, crazy that people would be scared of that. But, you know, that's just how people are sometimes. <laughs> Do you have a favorite sex toy? Do you want to share it? Yep. Uh, the Ann Summers Morgasm line. Mm. hands down for I don't know years now going on a decade now like these are incredible they've got these amazing tungsten motors that produce low frequency vibrations Mm, so what's particularly nice about that on um, vulva bodies is that like sometimes what can cause challenges with experiencing orgasm is genital innervation in vulvas is highly variable and you can have some nerves that are set more deeply, deeply beneath the skin, some that are Mm -hmm. set closer to the surface of the skin and low frequency vibration can travel further. So you can stimulate those more deeply set nerves. And what's also cool about it is because of that type of vibration, like if you take it and you pop it on your throat so where the root of your tongue is like you can Mm -hmm. pass those vibrations through your tongue um Hmm. like it's it's such a wild and fun range of toys and now they're on their next generation which they call morgasm plus okay so i really really rate these these vibrators in particular and they've got a whole range so there's something to suit nearly everybody and i will say like they're marketed to people with clitorises, but like people with penises can play with these toys too. So, right. I don't like it when people have that opinion where they think it's just for the, the clit, just for a vulva owner. It's not true. It, it, it creates sensation. If you have, if you have the ability to feel things, it's, it's for you too. I will say though, some toys are easier to use for penis people or vulva oh, people yeah, respectively. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, but that's why I'm By like shape. specifically <laughs> pointing it out here that um, most toys in the range, especially like the bullet or the handheld ears are very workable and they also work great on nipples. They like, yes, it's excellent stimulation in general from this toy. So that's my, I could gush about it all day. Huh, gush. <laughs> Yeah, I think people are really missing out if they don't try it. You know, and then you hear people say like, oh, it didn't really do much for me. Well, then you didn't try the right toy. You need to try a different one. (laughs) Well, and you know, like I I sympathize because sometimes, you know, if folks are going to like the old school sex shop where it's all dark inside and everything has phthalates, like Mm -hmm. it can sometimes be hard. And if that's all you have available to you and you're, you know, not willing to to order something online, I know some people still like that's even a step too far, then my suggestion would always be to just get a hard plastic bullet because you can't really go wrong with that. And that's such a good like gateway sex toy for your very first one. They're small, they're not intimidating, 
hard plastic is really easy to care for and is body right. safe. And you can find these even in the like shady old style sex shops <laughs> rather than right. like the more modern, well-lit out in the open ones that we have more and more of today, thankfully. Right. And I think too, another thing too, is to think of people getting something that you might use on another part of your body as well, you know, mm -hmm. for massage or something. And then you can eventually introduce it to the genitals, but then it's less scary to buy too. Like, oh, this is just a massager. And this is for my, my back. Well, or, you isn't know? <laughs> that how the Hitachi company like yes. got their magic wand out into the world? You know, I believe so. Like yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was very well, smart you know, of them. <laughs> do what you gotta do, right? And if you gotta uh -huh. order a back massager, then you order that back massager. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And then you can use it all over your body. I mean, that's their way of dealing with our our the way we were talking about, the way the society is, the way, you know, what we can advertise and what we can't, what we can say and what we can't. And so that was their way of getting it out to the world, which is I guess it's important that they did. Yep. Imperfect just, is better than than not at all. Exactly. I just feel like, I don't know, it's just more and more toys are evolving out there. And, you know, just, I think that's great, the amount of options out there. I just feel like it's just, every time I see a new sex toy invented, I'm like, yes, you know, it's just like, it feels like a little victory. One more yeah. is in the world. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I agree. They're so fun. I think people need to try them out. If they haven't, they really need to. I feel like too, it really teaches you about your body because some people, especially if you have any sort of like, you know, masturbation shame, which I did as a child, mm. it, it, it really, for me really was something that kind of blew my mind because it, it, it opened up things that I didn't know existed. And, you mm. know, I wouldn't have had that without that, without that wand. My first one was a wand. So. All right. <laughs> absolutely did you grow up in a home that was very open sexually or was it more no like I grew up in a home where like one day I came home and I had a copy of our bodies ourselves waiting on my bed and that was my mm. sex talk so to okay. be fair like that's a pretty great thing that was an yeah. awesome resource mm -hmm. could have been but worse, it yeah. was yeah and at the same time it was a home where like you know if people started like getting sexy on TV, like my parents would cover my eyes or oh, when I yeah. was older, mm -hmm. then it's just like everything would go silent and the room would become so tense and so uncomfortable. And it's like awkward. Oh, yeah. awkward. And where like, I didn't ever feel like I could talk to my parents about sexuality at all, or, you know, Cause I, you know, I started having sex relatively young and mm -hmm. it would have been nice if I'd felt like able to ask questions and stuff of my parents Yeah, and I didn't. And so I guess I picked up whatever vibe um, was there in that respect. And at the same time, like I didn't feel afraid of my parents in that way. And so I feel incredibly fortunate in that respect. And like I said, you know, they gave me some great feminist literature about bodies and puberty and sexuality. So like, right. you know, if you're, if that's the best you can do, that's already a hell of a lot better than what 
what other people do, right? Oh, yeah. It's better than shame or just not even acknowledging it. You know, yeah, definitely could be a lot worse. Well, I mean, it could have been pure. It could have been purity culture, right? Given the era in which I grew up when that was like all the rage among um, certain sections of the population. So I'm extraordinarily thankful that I was never in a household where like where that was the expectation or, you know, like. I didn't go to any purity ball or sign some card promising my dad oh my I wouldn't gosh. have sex until I was married. Like oh, there's so much gosh. gross stuff in that respect. That's so also, gross. Yeah. I guess I'm lucky in that when I went to school, a lot of that was during the era when Bill Clinton was president. So we were able mm. to have real sex education. So it wasn't abstinence only. And so I'm also right. very fortunate with my life timing in that respect. Right. Right. You know, and I, you know, I've, I've talked to several sex coaches and uh, through the podcast and, you know, some of them are like, you know, yeah, my mom gave me my first sex toy and others are like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) complete opposite where they didn't even acknowledge sex existed. And I find it so interesting how people with different backgrounds like that still came to the same career. I mean, that's just fascinating to me, like what people's triggers are, you know? Well, you know, when I think about my family of origin, I can definitely see some of their influence on some of my practice because my parents Mm. didn't like, didn't do rigid gender roles. And I think that is part of why for me, like when people are like on and on about this masculinity, femininity crap Mm. in terms Mm -hmm. of it being really prescriptive, like why I just sit there and I'm like, how, why, wait, this is obviously inaccurate. And I think I have that perspective and not just because of my, my parents, uh, but like also my grandparents and the like tons of entrepreneurial women that are in my family Mm. history. And, you know, like, my mom didn't change her last name when she got married and she uh, trained as a veterinarian at a time when that was a totally male dominated field. Uh, like that's, that's yeah. completely changed now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like my dad is this, like he's an engineer and he's like, he's a pretty big guy and he's a total gentle giant. Like he's mm-hmm. a very sensitive loving, kind man, like Mm. he was never this stoic or distant person. And like, I feel so lucky in that respect because I don't know, they, you know, of course they saddled me with some bullshit because all parents do, unfortunately, you know, and Mm. I'm, I'm a parent now myself and I just wonder what, yeah, (laughs) what am I going to pass on? Right. And at the same time, like they gave me some incredibly extraordinary gifts by their example. And I remain like very uh, grateful that that's the case. That's good. That's good. What what triggered you to go into this line of work? Do you have some like big thing or was it just something you always wanted to do? I mean, like, I think I've been keenly aware that I am a very sexual being for mm. about as long as I can recall. Like, I don't remember a life without masturbation in it. And mm-hmm. 
And like, I never had a feeling that sex was wrong. Like I got the impression from, you know, culture, society, peers that, oh, this is bad and shameful. But like inside, I was always like, do they know this is bullshit? Is it just like, (laughs) is everybody pretending and why? It was one of those things. But like the, the thing that happened is I was working a corporate job and in 2014, like I started to burn out. I had a two week vacation at the end of that year and I spent some time doing soul searching. And the question I asked myself was like, if I could do anything, if money was no object, like what would I do? What would I spend mm-hmm. my time doing? Right. And like, I kept having this idea and then I kept going, ah, no, I can't do that. And it kept coming back. So then eventually I finally Googled work in sex. And I, I mean, you can imagine some of the search results yeah. there were, <laughs> you know, all over the map, but it was through that searching. I learned that, Hey, there's a field called sexology. It's a real thing mm-hmm. that you can do. And in my yep. case, I found out about a school called sex coach you, which was created by Dr. Patty Britton and Dr. Robert Dunlap. Mm. And it was like in January of 2015, like I spoke to them for the first time and then decided like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I found the thing. Mm. And so that was how like I very specifically came to sex coaching, but this has been within me my whole life. Mm. I like that. I can identify with that as well. That's very interesting. And it was like, you finally embraced, embraced that and expanded it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause there was like, like there's a whole other backing story here. Like I was super unprocessed and it took mm-hmm. a lot of time and learning and I have been on some kind of journey. So like, I don't mean to say in that, that like, oh, I've been this sexually liberated person my whole life. Like, nah, I've been right. a horny person my whole life. <laughs> the, the process of like experiencing a sense of liberation through sexuality that took time and mm-hmm. patience and practice. Yes. So, and that is what I, you know, I want to share that pathway with other people. Well, that's fantastic that you are. And there's so many people in need of it at, at different levels. And so I, I, it's great that you're doing it you, and you're doing it at different levels, right? I mean, you got your courses, you've got your actual coaching. Now you've got the podcast. How, are you so excited about the podcast? I am, you know, it was, it's one of those things where like, I actually conceived of this podcast way back in February and I oh, had like, okay. like conceptualized, I outlined my episodes and then I kind of didn't do it and didn't do it. Mm, and yep you know, I am but human as are we all. And it's Mm -hmm. a vulnerable thing to suddenly decide, okay, I'm going to make myself really super visible. And you know what? (laughs) Yeah. I'm actually going to say what I really think on this podcast. You know, Mm. I've had shows before and I think there's still great content and I still stand by them. And at the Mm -hmm. same time, like I was kind of self-censoring, you know, I was kind of like middle of the roading, how I would talk about things. Whereas now I'm like, nah, man, like fascism sucks. And (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. I want to help create a pleasure-based movement against fascism. And that's what the podcast is about. And that's also what my new um, membership community is about. Call it the 
Is that yeah, the union? So, the union of yeah, <laughs> the union of slutty activists and other sex positive people. Nice. It's an experiment. Like I haven't done something like this before, and I'm very curious how it's going to pan out because I'm trying to weave in this concept that like part of a liberated and anti-fascist sexuality necessarily requires a little bit of deconstruction. And I borrow Mm. that word from the ex-evangelical community. So those are people who grew up in evangelical Christian households who then went through a process of like inquiry and examining their beliefs and literally deconstructing the worldview they were given and building something back in its place. Hmm. Like, I think that's a very fitting way to describe what we need to do with patriarchy, right? What we Mm -hmm. need to do with white supremacy, what we need to do with capitalism, Mm -hmm. because these systems of oppression, like they structure the world that we live in. And we've internalized a lot of that stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, and again, like when you say, oh, deconstruction, oh, like, oh, that sounds uncomfortable. <laughs> and like, yeah, uh, sometimes right. it is. Yeah. And yeah. that's why it's better done in community. And that's why it's better done in a place where we also have, for example, regular communal erotic practice, right? Where mm-hmm. we're starting our Tuesdays with pleasure, where we're building skills that will allow us to connect more, Right. So this membership, in addition to like being a place of inquiry, is also like your alternative to pickup artist communities. Like Mm -hmm. you want to come and learn how to like have casual sex. Like you can do that in the union, too. Like, in fact, my course, the one we were talking about, Keep It Casual, is included as a benefit of membership for as long as Mm. you remember you have access to that course Um, and any other freestanding courses like that, that I create, like will be available to union members. So yeah, it's like, that's the thing that I've always kind of wanted to do the place that I've been trying to get to. And I kind of had a fuck it moment and said, you know, when, if not now, right. (laughs) And so it's there. Like, um, if you're, if you want to learn more about the union you just go to sluttyactivism.com and you'll find a Google doc because it's rough and ready. Like there'll eventually be a shinier web page, but begin at the beginning. You got to begin at the beginning. It's always evolving and that's just totally fine. Right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's that's awesome. Well, that sounds very interesting. I think it's great. And it is a member, a membership site. Like you have to join it. Yeah, so you have to join the the community and we've put together um, anti-capitalist pricing. So there's three tiers. Mm. You don't get more or less benefits depending on the tier that you're on. We just encourage you to consider your intersections and then make a choice accordingly, which is like wild. And a lot of people get confused about this because that's not how, it's not how we're normally asked to think about what we're going to pay for something in a capitalist society. But Oh, so true. If I say my values are anti-capitalism, then you best believe I'm going to be baking that into my business. Um, Yeah, that's great. But yeah, so that's what that is. And there's the podcast. It's called Slutty Activism. And you can find it wherever fine podcasts are found, wherever you listen. You just search Slutty Activism. And we've also got a a free uh, podcast community on Facebook. If you just go to sluttyactivism.group, you'll be able to find us there too. 
That's nice that Facebook didn't, you know, get mad at your use of slutty because they're just so <laughs> word um, restrictive, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know as if they're going to be recommending that group to anybody, which again is another <laughs> like yeah, soft true. form of denying us the promotion that others get. Oh, and at the yes. same time, you know, that's why I bought a catchy URL, just sluttyactivism.group. Yeah. And there we are. Exactly. And then people can find you through, you know, it's nice being all over the place too, because then people can find you. They might find you through the podcast or some other way. And then they come and they see your whole web of things that you have. Yeah. So I spend time uh, most weeks on Instagram. I'm at dignified.hedonist or Facebook where I'm at dignified hedonist, all one word. Uh, Twitter, like I don't really do so much on Twitter anymore. So, but like I'm at hedonist dating there. So in case I ever get, get to tweeting again, you can check out my stuff there. Then there's also my main website, which is dignifiedhedonist.com. And yeah, I think those are the main places where I'm uh, floating around on the internet. Right. And Twitter is a great place for, you know, a lot of, you know, erotic things, not safe for work. And there yep. is a great community there for that. So it's, um, I'm, I'm, it's very I'm true. It's very Twitter. true. My main problem is I like wind up arguing with people and that's not yeah. like the most effective use of my time. <laughs> I um, can understand. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. And so you're on Twitter. Yes, I actually have three accounts on Twitter. I'm like one of these people that has multiple accounts everywhere because either I've been shut down or I wanted a backup or and then I made one for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like just kind of crazy. But yeah, it's it's you know, you find restriction there too. like my my one my one account grows with followers and the other one, which is the largest. I constantly have followers that new followers, yet my follower numbers never grow. And I'm like, how does that work? What hmm. are they doing to my account? Because it doesn't make any sense that I'm constantly having new followers, but yet I'm still only at 10.7K. I'm like, then that doesn't add up. <laughs> so something funky's going on there, but That's whatever. Weird. I know it's so weird, but whatever. I, you know, the nice thing about having multiple accounts there is that I do reach, you know, a wider base of people, but true. But yeah, yeah, there's there's control there in the social media. And it, yes, I've worked in social media for many years now. And yeah, there's, there's control there as well. There's restriction. You're treated differently if you talk about sex and yeah. Yeah. All that fucking BS shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell it like it is. I love it. I do. I do. Well, this has been just amazing. I think I could like sit and talk to you for like hours and hours and like forever because you're just, a, you're so interesting. You're amazing. You have great knowledge base. But is there anything we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to mention or say or highlight? Oh my goodness. Like we've, we've covered a lot of ground and we you know have. what, if you, if you ever want to do this again sometime, let me know. Um, yes, I would love to actually. Uh, I guess like the, the point I would end on for anybody listening to this is just that uh, you are worthy exactly as you are right now of love and sex and pleasure and respect and dignity like you don't have to earn those things. Like it's not a contest. There's not some invisible threshold that once you go past it, suddenly you're worthy. Like doesn't matter if you're 
fat or skinny or tall or short or bald or too hairy, like quote unquote, too hairy or too loud (laughs) or too quiet or blah, 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 blah. Any number of things that I often hear from people about why, you know, why they can't with sex or why it isn't for them. Right. And it's just to say, like, even if you don't believe me right now, you'll have at least heard someone telling you today that you are absolutely worthy exactly as you are. And the more you hear that, the more it's likely to sink in. And once you start believing it, even just a little bit, like if you just nudge that door of possibility open a tiny bit, oh my goodness, you you can't even conceive yet of what's waiting for you on the other side. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with baby steps. And sometimes we take steps forward and then we go back. But usually mm-hmm. the general motion is going to be forward once you start. Yeah. <laughs> It's quite a journey. So if that's you, I'm excited for you, even if you're not excited for yourself just yet. Right. Yeah, they may not be. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Gosh, this was so amazing and enlightening and empowering. And I will put all of your links down in the podcast notes and people need to check out Slutty Activism Podcast. And, you know, what quickly, how what are some topics you've already covered on Slutty Activism Podcast? Oh my goodness. Like we talk about some uh, common dating behaviors that facilitate fascism. Uh, (laughs) We talk about common pitfalls to avoid and what to do instead. We talk about the dignified hedonist framework as the how, if slutty activism is the what, dignified hedonism is the how. Mm. We talk about how, my goodness, what else do we talk about? how to be pleasure focused, how to bring mm-hmm. sex forward and make it a priority in your relationships, how nice. to how to allow desire to be your compass as you navigate relationships. Like there's a lot of juicy goodness there. And I'm taking the next uh, Netflix approach to uh, to content. So there's a whole season's worth of content out right now. And mm. that's my intention is to just drop whole seasons at once. Cause you know what? Uh I love binging podcasts. And so I figure maybe some of my listeners do too. I'm going to do it this way. Sure. That makes sense. Cause you know, yeah, it's kind of like the more you have out there at one moment and people can access more, but like they they reach for more because they're in it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And then I've got some really good bonus in between season content cooking. uh, So keep an eye out this uh, October, November. And season two will be with you in December. Awesome. Very exciting. That sounds great. I love talking to other podcasters. I don't know. We're just different somehow. Podcasters, they just are. (laughs) We know about the frustration with like cutting out filler words and listening to your own voice over and over and realizing the things that you say and the speech habits that you have. I think that's kind of a unique experience that binds us. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, this was amazing. I, I want to thank you so much for coming on here and I can't wait to share this. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute delight. It's been great. Well, you have an amazing day. Okay. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast episode, and I'm really excited that you are still here. If you stayed this long, it's awesome. You kick ass. 
I'm going to put all the links to her podcast and all of her things down in the podcast notes. Remember, her podcast is Slutty Activism, and you can join the Union of Slutty Activists. You can check out her Slutty Activism podcast community. And she's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and she has a website. So check down in the podcast notes if you would like to connect more with her and find out more about what she has to say or join one of her groups to learn more and definitely check out her podcast. And I am going to put the links down on my new stuff down in the podcast notes too. I have a new book out, Decadent Erotica, an anthology of 10 erotic stories which is just super yummy. And I will put all of my links down there so you can check out my books and audiobooks and wherever I am. I have more audiobooks coming out soon. Magic Inner Kisses is getting close. It's about to go live. And I have a bunch of other audiobooks that are going to go live too. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> I want to thank you for listening. And please follow my podcast if you enjoy what I do. And please give me a review, a rating, it really helps me out if you do such things. So please tell me your thoughts. Give me a review and help me grow. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And I hope you have a sexy fucking day. And don't forget to enjoy your body. Don't forget to masturbate. Don't forget to get intimate with your partner. Yeah. Let's make those connections. Let's get those big orgasms going. Oh, hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Let's go. All right, have a sexy day. Love you. Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning to get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.